Good morning. So this is the way it plays out in my head. I can't, this isn't scriptural, but this is the way I see it in my head. Once upon a time, there was a peasant girl, young lady, no father, a mother, and two hard brothers, older than her. And she really wanted the life of the other girls. It wasn't a life of luxury, but it was a life of rest at times, following mother around, learning how to cook, how to sew. But because of the economic situation that they were in, and because of the nature of who her brothers were, they made her work. When they went out to the field, she went out to the field. It must have been something inside of them that says we refuse to let her be useless. We need this for the family. She needs to work. She had the tenderness of her mother, but she didn't have a father. And so the brothers stepped in and they became the hard line. When they worked, she worked. When they took a break, she took a break. And because of that, she was kind of tough. Vineyards, plucking grapes, tending goats, sheep. This was her job. And you can almost see, like, in your mind's eye, what that would do to a little girl. She's kind of hard. Hands are strong. Skin is dark. She's in the sun a lot. Her back is strong. And she's got that thing that you get as a gift when you engage in something that's difficult. It's the reward. Self-worth seems to come from a place of confidence, and confidence seems to come from a place of being able to prove yourself proficient in some task. Thus, if you want to sit back and do nothing, you can have no self-worth. And that's the way her brothers saw it. You're going to be proud of yourself, no matter what. You don't get to be lazy. Why? Because lazy is bad? No, because no self-worth is bad. And so she got worked. She didn't like her brothers. In fact, she didn't even refer to them as her brothers. She referred to them as her mother's sons. My mother has another son, and my mother has another daughter. They're my siblings. I do like them. But that's how she referred to them. But she was confident, well-balanced, Knew what she had and knew what she didn't have. A 
four or five miles away. Inside the city walls, Jerusalem, the city of David, is a palace. And in the palace is a young king. He is handsome. He is wise. He is wealthy beyond imagination. And he is bored. There's really no other option, really. And there he sat in his palace, surrounded by all his riches and all the people who placate to him. And they bow and they herald and they introduce, they grovel, and he grew bored. You begin to wonder back about his father. His father, he ascended to fame from the fields. He was a shepherd, David. It was through being a shepherd that he came to be the king. But this king has known nothing about the hard work that his father went through. In fact, his father, David, was a warrior, absolute killer. Here's the, here's the downside, though. Solomon, his name is peace. Can you imagine? Anything more in the face, on the nose? Then wasn't your dad like the greatest warrior ever? Yeah. And what's your name? Ah, peace. Oh, that's cute. You'll never be able to stretch those toes down to the end of daddy's big shoes. Well, you know, no chance. But he was wise. Not a warrior. But wise. In fact, he was so incredibly wise and so good at what he did, the kingdom continued to expand. It had never seen economic wealth like it had then. Solomon was known all over the world for his wisdom. This guy is bright. People came from all around to sit in his company and ask him questions. In fact, there's one story to where um, they took a wooden apple and they painted it to where it looked just like a real apple and they took the other real apple and they brought him in and they set him just far enough away he couldn't touch them and they said, now Solomon, if you were so wise, then tell us exactly, tell us exactly which apple is the real one and which apple is not real. And Solomon just snickered. <laughs> okay. Will you open a window? Excuse me? You open a window. Sure. They opened a window. Just then, a bee flew in, came down, landed on the wooden apple, got up, went to the real apple, and began to nest around. Solomon never spoke a word. This guy's a genius. But you know what the problem is with being that incredibly smart? Is that most of the time you feel like you're surrounded by idiots. That's how Luke feels. <laughs> it's no wonder they get so frustrated. But he began to wonder, I wonder what it would be like in his wisdom. And it was a good thought. Sometimes, and this is hard for people to catch on to, sometimes 
there is amazing complexity in simplifying one's life. And oftentimes, if you can take a few steps backwards, it can launch you forward in an amazing way. Maybe if I could go back and step into my father's shoes, the shepherd, David. If I could go and experience life like that, I wonder if there would be some amount of peace or contentment that I could achieve. I mean, because this is the way Solomon saw the world, too much learning, there is strife. And the more you know, the more grief you experience. And maybe it's just a thing with commoners that the less that they know, they're almost blessed by what they don't know. A hundred years ago, no one was concerned what was going on 100 miles away. This is the world we live in, and so let's just manage it well. But now, you know everything that's going on around the world and what do you experience? Oh my goodness, it could all fall apart in this anxiety that overwhelms all of us. Why? Because I saw on Facebook that in Russia, really, a hundred years ago, no one ever had this anxiety. Solomon began to wonder to himself, maybe there's something so rich about not knowing stuff. What if you could step backwards and just unknow, maybe just return to the simple. That's it. That's what I'll do. Reaching for the most common robe he could find, which was not so common. He draped something around him. He found something that resembled a, a shepherd's crook, and he escaped in disguise out the back of the palace and began to meander through the town. And he was right. There was no pandering in the streets. People didn't greet one another like they greeted him when they met him. They saw each other and their faces lit up, hugs, kisses. They told stories, he was right. The simple seemed to be blessed with something about joy. It's almost as if they found joy in existence alone. It was almost as if just surviving everything that's going on was enough to go like, I'm doing good, I'm not dead yet. Solomon was right, man. This is really good. There's not as much sadness in the streets as I would have thought. I don't know if you realize that, but that is a thought among people, the elite, the top. Everyone below us must be sad. We're too busy. We're too busy busting it to just go around being sad. Anybody got the time? I had a moment not long ago. Man, I'm feeling really depressed. I'm like, I really don't have time for this. Like, I really don't have time for this, right? Like, I've got to get going on some stuff. I don't have time. Like, i got to get busy and do the things that I need to be doing. Like, I don't have time. Maybe if I had more money, I'd be, a better, I'd be better at being depressed. Maybe that's what I would need. More time. And Solomon began to experience that. He meandered through the marketplaces and through the porticos, and he was listening to the conversations and people yelling back and forth and all the laughing and all the camaraderie. He made himself, he took himself outside the city and he began to get to these little settlements, these little farm plots. 
these little vineyards. And he found herds of sheep, shepherds, his sheep, the, the king's sheep. And so he just took post, watching over these sheep, as he began to just think about who his father was. His vineyards, his sheep, his workers, his workers, his vineyards. But he just began to unknow as much as he could unknow. You see, through military alliances, Solomon had expanded the kingdom so amazing, just so massive, that income was always just flowing in. But those didn't come through sword, through military power. It came through marriages. At one point in Scripture, we find that Solomon was noted as having 700 wives, 300 concubines. This is a very well-experienced man. He knows things that none of us will ever know. And if I could be almost crass, he knew variety when it came to women. Or at least he thought he did. But he didn't know love. They weren't there because they wanted to be there. They're beautiful. They're polished. They're groomed. They're eloquent. They're conditioned. But they weren't his. He wasn't theirs. And that could leave a hole in the middle of somebody who has everything. Like you are highly regarded, but you're not loved. You don't know love, nor have you loved. Unprovoked and without a word, the shepherds and the sheep together begin to make their way towards the valley to the cool pools of water for a drink. And on their way by, Solomon sees a vineyard, and in this vineyard is a woman. You know that moment where you just, you, it, you know that, just kind of taken away, taken back. Solomon stands at the edge of her vineyard, his vineyard, slack-jawed, staring at this woman. She's beautiful. He had never seen anyone like her. She didn't even notice the dirt on her feet. That was new. And her hand. You could hear them. It was not the sound of soft hands. These are hands that know how to work. And she didn't give him the time of day. And he thought that was neat too. And he stared. Flattered and annoyed, she noticed. As he just stands there, his sheep and friends are gone. 
He's just a lone shepherd with no sheep, standing beside a vineyard, completely out of place, and he can't get his tongue or his mouth closed. And he can't speak, and she looks at him again. Enraptured, that's the word. Completely overtaken by her. He thought he knew variety. He didn't know variety. They're all beautiful. And they're all the, the same. And they're polished, but they're empty. But she is different. This one is way different. He doesn't even notice that she has noticed him. He can't even understand what's happening. He's absolutely enamored. And then she speaks. I am black and beautiful. O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon, do not stare at me, for I am darkened. I am darkened because the sun has stared on me. My mother's sons were angry with me, and they made me work the vineyard, but my own vineyard I have neglected. Solomon doesn't know. Like, can you hear the insecurity in what she says? I know I am beautiful, but I also know where I am deficient. I'm not going to be like anything you find in the palace. Those ladies there, they are fair-skinned. That's because they haven't been outside in ages. They haven't had to work like me. So don't gawk. Solomon is searching for the best way to tell her, this is shock, not disgust. I'm not staring because, ooh, I'm staring because, oh, wow. And then finally Solomon speaks. Now you got to read it through the right lens or it sounds real weird. But he says, I think you're like a mare among the chariots of Pharaoh. Now, it's not a good line, I'll be honest. Like it doesn't, for us nowadays. Like I don't feel like I'm very pretty. I think you look like a horse. Or... It doesn't... It doesn't stick like now like it did then. But like it's, I liken you, my darling, to a mare among all the chariots of Pharaoh. Your cheeks adorned with ornaments, your neck with strings of jewels and beads. That's how I think it starts. Now, I can't be sure. But I think there must have been something like that. It's not in Scripture. And I'm not trying to add to the Bible. I'm just saying, in my mind, when I begin to read this book, this is what pops out at me. This is the story that I get. If you read the book of Ecclesiastes, you cannot walk away from that and think to yourself, yeah, Solomon seems like he's doing okay on the inside. This is a guy who in Ecclesiastes is just like, look, whatever you're doing, it's pointless. Trust me, it's pointless. Chasing after the wind, pointless. 
Like you want to learn a lot? Okay, uh, t- good for you, too bad, whatever. It's going to be pointless too. Want to get a bunch of money? Pointless. In fact, his words are vanity, vanity. It is all vanity. It is a chasing after the wind. That's Solomon. And then when you hear her words, she sounds like she's from where I'm from. Where we live. Do not stare at me. Can you hear the confidence? But let me tell you how I think the opening lines of this poem go. Let me read it to you. The first couple of verses. You see, I think the first few verses are a preview of the movie. And here's where they begin. Song of Solomon, chapter 1. Verse 1, the song of songs, which is Solomon's. Verse 2, may he kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is better than wine. Your oils have a pleasing fragrance. Your name is like purified oil. The NIV says, or perfume poured out. Therefore, the maidens love you. Draw me after you and let us run together. The king has brought me into his chambers. If we are right in assuming that these first few lines are the reflections of an old woman who's looking back on her marriage and she's talking about this is what it was like. I mean, because listen to the way she does this. Ladies, this is so, so, so important. I want you to focus on how important this is. The first lines that that are attributed to her, may he kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Those are not words, those are thoughts. Have you ever looked at your husband and said, may he kiss me with the kisses of my mouth, of your mouth? No, why? Because that's weird. You don't do that. Kiss me, come on. Hey, I'm, kiss me. Like you might say that. But you've never looked at him and said, may he kiss me with it. Like, who are you talking to? You just made this real weird. May he, these are thoughts. Ladies, you want to know what's really powerful about your thoughts when they become words? A lot of you ladies think a lot of nice things about your husband. Do you say them? Or do you just think them? I'm so thankful. Will you take out the trash? (laughs) You see the gap? Watch how quickly we can move from from thoughts to words. Watch how she does it. May he kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is sweeter than wine. There is no time between the two. Ladies, if you can reach in and find your thoughts and then turn them into words, oh, trust me, you will will do something inside of your marriage that will absolutely liven everything up if you can make that happen. But here's the problem. We get too hung up in how weird that's going to be. We get too busy and wrapped up in all the other drama that's going on around us, and we forget to say the nice things. We forget to just take our thoughts and put them out there. Now listen, some of you are on the other end of the spectrum and you are sharing every thought you have. I'm going to need you to dial that back. 
We need to put a bridle on, turn it down, learn how to tame the tongue a little bit. You know what? I got some thoughts about who you are and how I need to get you and Jesus on the right. <laughs> you need to turn that down just a little bit. These are the reflections. When you have these moments of reflection for who your spouse is, and they are these sweet things, do you and your marriage a favor? Hey, say them. I don't want to be vulnerable, Jared. Yeah, none of us do. Welcome to humanity. Buck up. Their thoughts, turn them into words. Husbands, you don't get off the hook for this. If you got those nice thoughts, you need to say them. Some of your thoughts you need to keep inside your dome. You hear me? Like, leave them there. You just leave them where they were. You can share those another time, but don't share all the things that are going. But there are those moments that are valuable, these sweet thoughts, and you need to share them. Most miscommunication in marriage is not miscommunication. It's lack of communication. Most miscommunication in marriage is not Miscommunication, it's refusal to share our deepest fears and joys. The depth of your affection inside of your marriage is limited only by how much you're willing to risk in sharing intimate information. The depth of affection that you experience inside of your marriage is limited only by how much you're willing to risk sharing your greatest fears. A lot of us live in life on a regular basis not sharing the things that we fear most. I told my wife yesterday, I feel really clingy today, to which she's kind of gangster in our marriage, and she looks at me like, yeah, thanks for sharing. She said, okay, I just need to say, I don't know why. Maybe I'm reading too much Song of Solomon. I just want to snuggle. She's like, I need you to back off. She's a little bit sorry. But when you have those, share them. Here's what happens inside of a relationship. My wife, my wife, my wife said this the other day. Brilliant. My gosh, she's brilliant. Some couples are really good functional couples and terrible relational couples. I mean, they work good like a good shortstop and a good second baseman. But they can't even have a normal, like, exchange of real heartfelt data from the inside. Did you get the kids? Did you pick up the groceries? Are you going to drop them off? Are you coming here? Yep. High fives and off we go. It's like, I could do this with my best friend. They are really good functional couples, really bad relational Couples, I said, my gosh, you're brilliant. It's true. How do we move from being functional to being relational? We've got to start sharing more information. The depth of affection and the depth of your relationship is limited only by how much you're willing to risk sharing your greatest fears and joys with one another. You've got to get over it. She looks him in the face and she says, I am black and beautiful. I know where I am great and I know where I lack. She takes her words, she takes her thoughts and she turns them into words. 
May he kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is sweeter than wine. But then listen where she goes from there. Your oils have a pleasing fragrance. This is, so, this is such a good writing right here. Your oils have a pleasing fragrance. She says, I love the way you smell. There's a familiar smell to you. It's that old t-shirt smell, like that smell. I, I know what she smells like. When I hug her, I smell her hair, and I know what she smells like. When she hugs me, she knows what I smell like. This woman begins there, but it's not just about how you smell, like give it a shot of cologne, and then that's not it. But she uses this as a literary device to jump into something even deeper. Oh, I love the way he smells, but your name is like perfume poured out. Or your name is like purified oil. Name doesn't mean I love your name, Jared. Because I like J's and, and consonants. Like the, your name is your repute, your fame, the thing that you are known for. And it is like perfume poured out. There is no question when perfume is poured out. You ever broke a bottle? Isn't it amazing how a little mist of something, mm, well, maybe we should put more. Mm -mm. I, love to go to the, I love to go to the middle school and substitute teaching. And after gym class, the kids come out smelling like, what in the world <laughs> is that? Like, it's my new cologne. Like, bro, like a little dabble, do ya? You know? Like, that's kill you. Up in here, up in here. About to make me lose my... M wow, bro, a little... But how much more rich is it if your character is poured out and manifest like that? She says, you know when you break a bottle? Yep, you always know when you break a bottle. Yours is full of character, and when it spills out, good gosh, no wonder the maidens love you. Because <sighs> you are the best. It is no wonder there are women lined up to be around you and spend time with you. <sighs> Your name is like purified oil. Your name is like perfume poured out. Past tense in the New American Standard, future tense in the NIV. The Hebrew is past tense. The king has brought me into his chamber. There is a place where very few men are willing to risk going. Very, very few men risk going to this place. Here's why, because it can really chop away at your ego. It'll slice and dice your arrogance pretty quick. Now, if you can muster up the resolve to scale the walls, 
to climb over to this place, into this intersanctum of the most wild thoughts in the world, in this place that is just nearly forbidden for everyone else. If you can muster up the strength, the will, the resolve, the just grit to scale the wall and get in there, I promise you there is a great reward on the other side. I'll tell you where this place is. It is the mind of a woman. I mean, oftentimes we love to stand at a distance and criticize that place. Oh, you know how women are. You know how girls are. But very few men dare take their fragile ego and try to climb into such a place as that. But if he has the character to do it, there is great reward. And here's the great reward. She will let you in. She will let you in. Ladies, you know that there's so much information you would love to share. And there are sometimes just little pockets of information you would love to share. But you don't trust that man enough to do it because he hasn't shown you he's trustworthy yet. I want to share this, but I don't know if I can let this out yet. For the man is willing to do that, who has the resolve, the character to go to that place, who proves himself to be safe. Proves himself to be somebody who will handle her heart gently. That information will never come out. But if he does, she'll hand it over freely. And ladies, here's the deal. I want to tell you about a place. You know that thing that you, I just want to be like, his heart, like I want him to just, like I want to be at that place. Cherished, yes. Valued, yes. But I'm talking about something different. I'm talking about loved and brought into a place where you are so protected. It's an internal citadel to where this strong man will finally confide in you. Ladies, do you want to be in there, in that place of being most protected by that man? Loved? by that man, then let me tell you where it begins. You must respect that man. I do not like to speak in generalities when it comes to marriage because when it comes to Katie and I's marriage compared to most of our friends, I'm always on the other side and she is always on the other side. All the guys at the table say, I mean, this is how I feel. And my wife's like, so do I. <laughs> and most of the girls are on the other side going, I just wish she would share his heart more. And I'm like, <laughs> you, I agree, girls. But guess where I land? And so speaking in generalities doesn't work. But I will speak in generalities right now. And I can say with pretty good confidence that 99%, if not 100% of men, in order for them to have a strong, thriving relationship that they want to invest in, they must be respected. Uh, Jared, I will respect him when, okay, all right, ladies, like, like, we'll get, we'll get there, respected, the word respect is a biblical term, it's made of two words, in and trope, the word is entropy, it means Turn inward. 
Respect means turn inward. So what does that look like inside of a relationship when a wife needs to find a way to respect her husband? Well, there's nothing respectable about him. Okay, so then we've got a bigger issue and we'll get there in a minute. This is your call from God. Respect him. Here's what's so interesting about the word. What it means is change within you. Yeah, but I want it to be a feeling that just triggers, like he does something and it just triggers me to respect him. Oh, okay. I like Disney movies too. Unfortunately, that's not real. That's not real. If you're just gonna sit around and wait on your feelings to just be triggered by, I, he needs to sweep me off my feet all the time. And when, I, when, he's, when he needs respect, he needs to do something respectable. That, wow, you know what that reminds me of? What is it called? A vending machine. That's what it is. Put your quarters in. You can have whatever you want. Ladies, you're better than that. You're more valuable than that. Respect is change within yourself. In fact, that's what the Merriam-Webster Dictionary says. Entropy is change that happens within oneself. So here's what this looks like. This means that you take God's word for what God's word says and you ingest it and you let it change you. This is the beginning point of a solid marriage for ladies. Listen, ingest the word into you and let it change you. And once the change has happened within, let me tell you what will happen. He will see it and he will change as well. If he has any amount of a relationship with God, he will change as well. Now, if he does not, ladies, there's no promises. If your man does not have a relationship with God, there are no promises. We need to set up a whole, a whole uh, board of, of, of prayers and start praying for that man so that he and Jesus can get to that place. Here's the reason why. Because it will be impossible impossible for this man to make the changes to love you. Here's the reason why, ladies. Because you're complicated. And you're valuable. And we can't love you on our own. It requires Jesus. It requires us having experienced the love of God for us to love you properly. This is why. Your man has got to be a man of God. If he's not, it's going to be very, very hard for him to love you in a way that brings you any amount of contentment into your life. Guys, same is true for you. When she offers him respect, though, notice what he does. He lets her in. The king has brought me into his chambers. Isn't it interesting? We begin with her thoughts in her inner sanctum, this citadel of her mind. And then we end in his. This is a preview of coming events. This is the trailer for the movie. This is the foreshadowing of things not known yet. And they put it out in front of us. Here it is. You want to know what it looks like? Here's where it begins. Men have character that is noble and apparent. Manifest the presence of God in your Life and ladies offer respect, and that is the change within you. Do you see what marriage is? 
from God's standpoint? It's this, two people coming together, turning their backs on one another, looking to God, and then God putting them together. This is what it is. You don't come to that person and assume he's going to be able to fulfill all of your wants and needs and desires. What is wrong with you? And man, you can't either. Like if God is not involved, you don't have the gumption, the guts, the grit to get the job done. Jesus has to be the center. He cannot be the center. Jesus must be the center. She cannot be the center. Respect is changed within. Character poured out is apparent. And if it's not apparent, then it's not there. That changes us. That means that my relationship with my wife means that in order for me to invest richly in my relationship with my wife, I need to spend more time with God. And in order for her to invest in me, she needs to spend more time with God. That way when we are together, we can have honest conversations. I've shared this before. I shared it with a friend of mine just the other day. There are these moments inside of Katie and I's relationship to where we will lock horns. And like I've said to you before, I love the fact that I'm married to somebody who loves to contend with me. I love a good verbal and mental uh, skirmish. I enjoy it. Like I want to be convinced, change my mind. Like, come on, bring it on. Let's bang heads and let's get like convince me, make me a convert of whatever it is. And so we'll get to going and get to arguing and every once in a while she will pause. What are you doing? What are you doing? I'm talking to the Lord about you right now. Don't interrupt. Say amen, hang up, and get back to this conversation. <laughs> we got stuff to work out right now. Don't interrupt me and Jesus. So long as I stand in the way of the work he's trying to do in her, he can't do his work. And so long as... She stands in the way of the work that Jesus is trying to do in me. Jesus can't do his work. He's a gentleman. He'll back himself all the way up. I mean, listen, guys, I mean, I'm with you. I'd love to take some just nuts and bolts and wrenches and ratchets and hammers and jackhammers and, I mean, go to work and, and tell homegirl, here's what you need to fix about you and let's lay out some plans here. We got to tighten this up. We got to tighten this up. We got to tighten. Here's the problem. I'm an idiot. Like, that's the problem. What do I know? Like, it's not like I have done such a good job with myself, like I'm a picture of mental health, right? <laughs> like, that's not, like, I'm like, let me tell you how to fix you, because I'm, you know, like, you're insane. Like, it doesn't work. Like, it's not like she understands what it's like to be a man, so for her to go putting tools on me and try, like, she doesn't, I don't know what it's like to be a, you know who does? The creator. So long as he's involved, I got her right where I want her. She's got me right where she wants me. And she can look over the fence and she can go, wow, that looks like it's painful. It's like, yeah. 
yeah, getting, getting worked by Jesus is kind of painful. And when he begins to work on her life, I can step in and I can say, you good? She's like, yeah, this sucks. I'm like, yeah, it sucks. Looks like it sucks. And then we've got a relationship that we can start with. That's the beauty of the Song of Solomon is that it opens up wide open and begins to have these conversations that we are so bad at having. May he kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Your oils have a pleasing fragrance. Your name is like purified oil. Therefore, the maidens love you. Listen to what she says. This is such a perfect blend of the masculine and the feminine. And guys, if you can catch this, if you can catch this, this idea right here. And ladies, if you can adopt this mentality, like this is so, so rich. It works so good. The masculine and the feminine come together in this next line. Draw me after you, she says, and let us run together. Guys, there is no better, there's no better request than that. Quick note to guys who think their wife is boring. You're not waiting on her to loosen up. She's waiting on you to lift her up. She's not waiting on, I mean, you're not waiting on her to liven up. She's waiting on you to grow up. You're not waiting on her to become the woman of your dreams. She's waiting on you to treat her as such. And when that happens, do you see the response? He let me in. Ladies, listen to what she says. Drag me off. That's the literal. Drag me off. Every guy in the room going, that'd be cool to hear. That'd be cool. That'd be, cool. That'd be kind of cool to hear. Hey, drag me off. What she's saying is, let me in. Bring me into that place. And then she says, she doubles down. There's the feminine, and then here comes the masculine. Pull me in close. Okay, then what? Now let's run. Now let's run. Me and you can just handle all of life draw me in close i want to know that we're here let me give you a picture of what this looks like when you were little little boys listen close when you were little you would go ride your bicycle and your mother would look at you on the way out the door and she would say i need you to come back here and check in in one hour and you had to go back to your house and you said, Mom, I'm fine. I don't have stitches. No one tried to kidnap me or give me candy with razor blades. I'm fine. Can I please go ride my bike? And then you go ride your bike. Come back and check in in 30 minutes. Check in. Now go run. Check in. Now go run. This is in your nature, ladies. Check in. Now go run. And ladies, when you approach your man with that same thing, come here. Tell me me and you are good. We're good. Now let's run. run do 
we need to iron anything out here? Are we good? Do we need to touch base? Everybody check their pulse. Do a little self-assessment. You, you got any regrets? You got any anxiety? You got anything that you think about me on a regular basis that could be causing some resentment deep down inside? You got anything like that going on? Do we need to hash anything out? And when she looks at me and she says, do we have anything there? And I say, do we have anything there? She's like, no, no. Okay, let's go. Let's go tackle life. We will, we will blow the doors off this thing. That's what godly marriage is supposed to look like. The reason I love the Song of Solomon is this. Because for any busted, beat up, broken, or beleaguered marriage, Song of Solomon has encouragement and exhortation for us. But it all begins with our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen, you cannot show up at the altar with nothing to offer. And when I say altar, I mean a wedding day. And when I say offer, you better have a whole lot more than just you. Man, if you think what you have in the tank is enough to keep her, fellas, it's not enough. And ladies, if you think you're going to just breeze on by being one-dimensional, ain't happening. You need some Jesus in your life. We're going to be covering this for about seven or eight weeks. And it only gets more intense. At some point, there'll be a warning on the screen that says, maybe keep your, maybe keep your kids in the nursery. It's about, to get, it's about to get deep. We're going to talk about a lot of stuff. I'm excited about it. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to be thinking about the people in your life on your manifest. The people who you know inside of your circle of influence whose marriage is busted, who is single and looking, who's trying to figure out what they want to do with their life, whose life is just rattled and falling apart. And think about how in the world can we bring these people to a place like this. You can share this on, on social media. You can pass it on to them. You can send it to them in a text message. Whatever it is you need to do because the manifest, your manifest, the people on your list, they need to know this information. Not because I'm, I'm a genius or I'm brilliant, but because this information here changes who we are. If we get that part of life nailed down and our marriage is good, we can build off of that. We can build off of that. Let's pray and then we'll get out of here. Thanks for being here this morning. I appreciate it. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you so much for your word and how it challenges us, how it pushes us outside our comfort zone and how it forces us to come to a place of having to learn how to forgive. Lord, we ask that you will begin to break the chains and the bondages that we've created in marriage. For the times that we hold our spouse hostage with our pain and with our unforgiveness and with our regrets. How we lock them into this unwinnable war. Lord, we ask that you will step into our life and free us of that. Lord, show us that our problem is not with our spouse. Our problem is with you. Lord, give us a heart of forgiveness, willingness to move forward, a spirit of sensitivity, be able to have the conversations that we need to have. Lord, we love you. We thank you for everything you've done for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a wonderful afternoon. Thanks for being here. Is there a football game this afternoon? No? All right.